And we know the way the Lord magnifies his grace in us is through his word by the power of the Spirit. So once again, this morning, which is the first Lord's Day morning of 2021, we are going to open up the word. I'm going to take you into the book of Daniel in a few minutes. To prepare your hearts, however, I must say that I think we all would agree that last year was a very difficult year, and this year portends to be the same. As I was thinking about what the Spirit of God has laid on my heart to share with you this morning, I was reminded of a very difficult time when I was a young man and there was a godly mentor that the Lord had given to me, and this man had lost some of his ancestors to the Muslim Turks years ago, so he knew what it was to flee from that land and come to America. And I remember him counseling me and at one time getting in my face and saying in kind of broken English, David, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. You never forget those things, right? I think I've used this illustration before, but it, it certainly rings true to my heart this year because given the satanic liberalism and socialism and globalist ideologies that are taking over our country, along with all of the corrupt politicians and media and all of these things that we are all so well familiar with, this is bound to be a very difficult year. Wickedness and corruption really characterizes all of the systems that are in our country, all of the dishonesty that we see in our politicians. And I fear, frankly, that we are losing our republic. But we have nothing to fear, dear friends. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or in other words, of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And as we begin a new year, I want to challenge you with the challenge that I received many years ago. I want to challenge all of you to dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel in this new year. Let me give you a little background before we open up some of the texts in the book of Daniel. Daniel Daniel was about 15 years of age when the Babylonians came in and took over Judah, defeated Jerusalem, um, killed much of his family. He was part of a royal family, a noble family, and they took him along with many others to Babylon. And there he remained during the 70 years of Israel's captivity until his death sometime in his late 80s. Now imagine yourself in such a situation. Imagine if, we'll say, China comes and defeats us and kills many of our family members and takes some of you and deports you to China. I'm sure you would wonder, as Daniel did, is God still in control? What is going on here? I can't imagine this happening. 
Why would he allow such a horrible thing to occur? And this was even worse for Daniel because, remember, the the Jews were God's covenant people. And he understood this. They were sons and daughters of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. These were unilateral, irreversible, unconditional covenants where God had promised them not only the promised land, but a Davidic dynasty that would have no end. And he dwelled with them in the temple. Now the temple's gone. Jerusalem is gone. But dear friends, Daniel's faith never waned. He knew God was still on his throne. He knew that there was absolutely nothing that could thwart the purposes of God. And I want you to be reminded of that even as we face the horrors of what we're seeing happening in our country. In fact, God inspired Daniel to write this prophetic book to prove that he is still in charge. God God blessed young Daniel for his faithfulness, for his indefatigable loyalty to the Lord his God, and God used him mightily as his mouthpiece to both Jews and Gentiles in that age and now in this age today. The theme of God's providential workings over the course of human history is really at the core of the book of Daniel. We see it on every page. What we see is that his sovereignty is never in question. His faithfulness to his covenant promises are never in doubt. And the exaltation of the anointed one, the Messiah, that he knew was coming was never questioned whatsoever. And herein, beloved, is the anchor for each of us as we embark upon a new year. We've got got to remind ourselves from the word that our God reigns, that nothing can thwart his purposes, that he is utterly invincible. And even if wicked people take over the country, even if the nation is ruled by sodomites and drag queens, God is still in control. And ultimately, the victory is his. Now, to underscore these great truths, I wish to draw your attention to several passages in Daniel. Under three headings, very simple headings, first of all, we're going to be reminded that, number one, God is sovereign over all nations and rulers. Secondly, God has ordained to allow evil to accomplish his purposes. And finally, God is most exalted and we are most blessed when we trust in him. So let's look at these concepts that emerge from the book of Daniel as well as other passages. We see this all through scripture. First of all, God is sovereign over all nations and rulers. You will recall Back in Daniel chapter 2, there's a record of Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's terrifying dream. He had a dream of this immense colossus representing a succession of world empires. And there God revealed consecutive empires that would dominate the world in the future. 
Of course, the first one was the Babylonian empire that was ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, who saw the vision that was represented by a golden head. And then there was a silver torso that he saw. Daniel interpreted this. This would be a Medo-Persian empire that would eventually come. And that would then be conquered by Alexander the Great um, Greek Empire, which was symbolized by an abdomen and legs of bronze. And then later, that would be crushed by the Roman Empire, the legs of iron. Of course, none of that had happened except for Babylon being in existence in that day. And this was followed in the prophecies by another kingdom that was related to the Iron Kingdom. And here I'm just giving you a summary of what we see in Daniel 2. There's another kingdom that emerges, but one that is not nearly as stable as that legs of iron because it was one that had a mixture of iron and clay. And we believe that is a reference to the final and future form of a fourth Roman Empire that will consist of a coalition of ten nations as we look at other prophecies. And finally, as we look in those prophecies, we see that an eleventh king emerged, the Antichrist, and we know from other passages of Scripture that he will one day rule a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion, and have people worship him, and so forth. In fact, we can go to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2, where the Lord reveals this to John. There we read, And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The imagery that is used there is rooted in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel portrays four beasts, a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And the fourth beast, which is a composite of the first three, is described in verse 7 as dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, reference to the coming rule of an antichrist. By the way, there in Revelation, John lists these animals in reverse because he was looking back into history, whereas Daniel was looking forward into the future. These three animals, the leopard, the bear, and the lion, symbolize um, ferocity. They were ferocious, powerful animals, symbolizing three successive world empires of Neo-Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. But the fourth beast, representing the Roman Empire, is emblematic of a future empire of the Antichrist that will incorporate the, the cruelty and the power of the first three, an empire that will be unparalleled in human history. Dear Christian, you wonder why America is falling so quickly and why all of the nations of the world are moving towards globalism? Well, if we look in our Bibles, we begin to see why. We see that God is preparing the world for the rule of an antichrist. He will send forth, Satan will send forth his son, the Antichrist, to fill the leadership void that exists in the world, the second member of an unholy trinity 
consisting of, according to the book of Revelation, the dragon, who is Satan, the beast of the sea, who is the Antichrist, and the beast out of the earth, who is the false prophet. The Antichrist will be a satanically possessed man that will deceive the world. Daniel speaks of him in Daniel 7, verse 25. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time, which is a reference to half of the seven-year tribulation period that will come upon the earth. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Now, there's a verse worth putting on your mirror. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 45, God's final kingdom is pictured as a stone that was cut out without hands. And in that vision, we see how it strikes the feet of the massive image so that it becomes, quote, a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And the stone, we know, is a reference to the Messiah. There's a number of passages that speak to that. Psalm 118, 22 and verse 23, Isaiah 28, 16, Romans 9, 33, 1 Peter 2, 6, and especially Luke 20 and verse 18. I give that to you so that you can go back and listen to this and you can look up those passages. And the great mountain that is described pictures God's invincible and all-encompassing kingdom that will utterly annihilate all of the previous and prevailing Gentile powers on the earth who were a part of Satan's kingdom. Folks, this is what I long for, and I'm sure you do as well. God's universal kingdom will ultimately prevail over Satan's kingdom of darkness, and we see evidences of that satanic kingdom all around the world today, gaining power like never before. And once America is taken out of the picture, you can only imagine what's going to happen in the world. The usurper will one day be forever deposed and the universe will be forever purged from sin. Again, back to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 7, in verse 13, he says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is a reference to Christ, the Messiah. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Oh, dear friends, never forget this. God is sovereign over all nations, and he is sovereign over all rulers. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 33, beginning in verse 10, that the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations, He frustrates the plans of peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Now, back to Daniel. Remember now, Daniel comes as a young man. He serves under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, we believe, comes to a saving faith in Yahweh. 
And then he is replaced by his son Belshazzar, or Belshazzar as some pronounce it. And Belshazzar was a hideously arrogant man, and he believed, as all of the people of that day believed, that Babylon was utterly invincible, that no one could enter that city. It was impregnable, impenetrable. And when he saw a massive hand appear and write something on the wall during a great feast, he all of a sudden was humbled to the core. In fact, we read in Daniel 5, 6, then the, Kate, then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. By the way, this would have been especially terrifying because undoubtedly he had cut the hands off of a number of kings that he had conquered because it was their custom in that day when a king was conquered you would cut off his hands so that he would no longer be able to hold a scepter and rule. And now suddenly this massive hand is writing something on the wall. Well, no one could interpret what the writing said except Daniel. So they bring Daniel in and he gives the interpretation. But before he gives the interpretation, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he confronts Belshazzar with what God had done with his father and now what he's going to do with him. In Daniel 5 verse 20, we read about this. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, this is Daniel talking about your father, Nebuchadnezzar. When that happened, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. By the way, be reminded of that text with whoever ends up being our president and our leaders. Yet you, Daniel says, Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all of this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see hear or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life and breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Dear Christian, do not think for one minute that the vile rulers that are in our country and in other nations of the world will not one day be judged by holy God because God is sovereign over all nations and all rulers. In verse 25, we read of the inscription that was written on the wall. Now, this is the inscription that was written out. Mini, mini, tekel, uparsin. 
This is the interpretation of the message, meaning God has numbered your kingdom and put an end to it. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and Persians. So here again, we see how God is sovereign over all of the rulers, all of the nations. By the way, that night, the Medes and the Persians came in and took over Babylon. And Belshazzar was killed. But secondly, as we look at the text, we see that God has ordained to allow evil to accomplish his purposes. Now, you must, you must be careful here. While God is never the author or the cause of sin, he does bring it about indirectly through the willing, voluntary actions of moral creatures, human beings as well as angelic beings. This is evident from God's own testimony of himself. In Isaiah 45, verse 7, he says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You see, folks, when you think of God's sovereignty that we read about all through Scripture, sovereignty basically means that he is in absolute control, that he rules over all things, that he has authority over all things. And perhaps like no other doctrine, this is a doctrine that provides the greatest source of comfort to the redeemed, especially when difficult things come our way. To know that God is fully aware of and in charge of, even in the most horrific issues that we might face, instantly delegitimizes thoughts of, of abandonment or indifference or of randomness, though in our humanness we tend to think that way. You see, folks, nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing. There is no plan B. There is only plan A. Because our God is a sovereign God, not a contingent God. And we see this all through Scripture. There is therefore nothing in our life that he has not ordained for his purposes to ultimately bring glory to himself and blessing to us. We must remember that he, according to Isaiah 46.10, is the one who declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You see, folks, there is nothing that can escape his influence and his power. In Proverbs 16, verse 9, we read, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord, what? The Lord directs his steps. Daniel described God as the one in Daniel 4.35 who does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? So you see, dear friends, in these and in there's so many other verses, we see that there is absolutely no doubt that God reigns in absolute sovereignty over all of his creation. As Paul said in Ephesians 1.11, he works all things after the counsel of his will. And what a comforting thought to know that no matter what the circumstance, no matter how hopeless our condition or how unfair a situation, unfair our plight, God is ultimately in control. 
And we see this in God's plans for Daniel. I mean, think about it. Suddenly, he's ripped from his family. He's deported into Babylon. And yet, God uses Daniel's faithfulness to magnify the name of Yahweh, even among the Gentile rulers of the world. By the way, this is reminiscent of Joseph's story, right? Very similar. In fact, Daniel refers to Yahweh as the Most High God ten times and calls him the Highest One four times. And his deliverance from the lions was undoubtedly one of the greatest evidence of of the greatness of Jehovah. So I want to take you to Daniel 6. Let's talk about that for a moment. Now, the context here, by the time you get to Daniel 6, Daniel is about 80 years old. He has served under Nebuchadnezzar. He has served in the court of Belshazzar, uh, and who is now dead. And what we see is that after he interpreted the writing of on the wall, uh, the Medes and the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And in, in Daniel 5, in verse 30, we read, And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Darius, by the way, was not a name but an honored title for Cyrus. This is a fascinating story in Daniel 6, one of political intrigue and corruption By the way, nothing has ever changed because men are sinners and this is still Satan's world until the Lord takes it back. And here we also see God's providential hand orchestrating all these things to bring glory to himself and blessing to Daniel. Let me read a little bit of this in Daniel 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom. And they would be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Mm. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statue and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is, the injunction. And I love this next verse. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. 
Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Business as usual. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Surprise, surprise, right? They knew that's what he would do. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the injunction which you sign, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statue which the king establishes may be changed. Now, isn't it fascinating how God ordained to allow Daniel's contemporaries to become jealous of him and to scheme in a way that would bring destruction to him? And isn't it also interesting how God ordained to allow the king to succumb to his own arrogance and sign the document. But then he discovered he had been tricked. He did not want Daniel to be killed. Notice what he said in verse 16. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God whom you constantly serve will himself Deliver you. And he did. Verse 19, then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, or came near to the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. By the way, there is every indication that the angel that came to shut the, the, the mouths of the lions was the incarnate Christ that also showed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 in the fiery furnace. The king then gave orders, and they brought... Well, no, I need to back up. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders to Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury, whatever, was found on him. And here's why. Because he had trusted in his God. By the way, that doesn't mean it always happens. Sometimes we get eaten by the lions, right? And then we're instantly in glory. But ultimately, God is in charge. 
Then it goes on to say, Then the king gave orders, and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den, and they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. God has his ways. Never take the sword of divine vengeance or justice out of God's hands. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And he is creative in the way he brings about vengeance. Oh, dear Christian, don't be afraid of men. Mere men, these people that are being put in positions of authority over us, many have been that way for years. Don't be afraid of them. Fear God. Fall before him in reverent trust and awe, even when some evil befalls you. And know this, that no matter what comes as we look at this new year, know that God is in it. He's up to something in your life, in my life, in our lives as a church, in our country, in the world. Ultimately, everything is moving inexorably towards a time of judgment. We know prophetically that the Antichrist will come, that kingdom will be set up, all of those things that that I rehearsed just a bit a few minutes ago. But ultimately, Jesus is coming. I remember seeing a video once, powerful video, having been in Africa and been around lions up close. Mind you, I was in a caged vehicle of some sort with um, a Maasai um, native with a very large gun, so I felt fairly safe. But I remember seeing a video of five or six lionesses who had killed a water buffalo. And they were doing what the lions do, eating the buffalo. And then all of a sudden, you begin to see hyenas. They're the most ugly. Have you seen a hyena? I think you know what they are. They are ugly. They just look demonic. Hyenas start coming, and the lions kind of chase them off. And then more hyenas come. The lionesses chase them off. And then more start coming. And finally, there's just, I I would say there were 15, maybe 20 hyenas against five or six lionesses. And the lionesses backed off. And then suddenly, in, in a flash coming out of the brush, you see a male lion, and he comes running out, and all of those hyenas, the whole bunch of them, started running as fast as they could. And I, I timed it. He killed three of them within three seconds. And the rest of them were gone. It was almost like the lionesses were setting them up for Daddy to come home. And boy, when he did... He took care of business. Beloved, the hyenas are ruling over us, and more are coming. But know this, even though they might overpower us, and they might tempt us to flee, the lion of the tribe of Judah is watching and he is waiting. And one day, in the fierceness of his wrath, He will come upon the scene at the moment of our peril and he will deliver us as he has promised. And he will utterly rout the enemy. The king is coming. And I believe as I look at 
Bible prophecy and as I look at the constellation of events that we see around the world today and how all of that points to the times in which we live, I believe that the nostrils of our king are beginning to flare and he is about to rise in judgment. And so take comfort in this. In fact, we read in Revelation 6.16 what it will be like when he comes The wicked will one day cry out to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. And in Revelation 19, that great passage describing the second coming of Christ, we read in verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Dear friends, we may lose our republic, we may lose our freedoms, we may lose our property, we may even lose our lives. But know this, we will never lose our eternal inheritance because we belong to the king. And the king will gain the victory. And what comfort that is, especially as we embark upon a very uncertain year. When you look at all of the craziness with politics you, you look at the COVID, I mean, it just goes on and on. It's like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Obviously, God is allowing this to happen. Well, I've got to move quickly. Finally, we see that God is most exalted, and we are most blessed when we trust in him. We see this in the uncompromising life of Daniel. Again, going back to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, in other words, that document that said that that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days, you're going to be cast into the lion's den. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, it says he panicked and he fled the country. Oh, no, it doesn't say that. It says he curled up in a fetal position and fell into debilitating depression. Uh, It doesn't say that either. Uh, uh, He he became enraged and and he organized a group to depose the king and and kill all of the enemies. No, it doesn't say that either. Well, he, he began to worship in secret so nobody would know. So he could be safe. He began to conceal his faith. It doesn't say that either. And when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Perens, now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And here's what he did. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Beloved, Daniel was a man committed to public worship. He did not conceal his faith. And he was bold and uncompromising in serving the God that he loved. And think about the profound impact of his testimony. Not only was he miraculously delivered from the lions, but his enemies were all destroyed in a most remarkable way. I mean, can you imagine before you even reach the bottom of the pit, the lions have have devoured you in, in essence. 
you, your wife, and all your children. Better yet, the name of the Lord was exalted among the people. And Darius the king came to trust in God for his salvation, as did Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, here's what Darius said in Daniel 6, beginning in verse 15. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. Here's what he said. May your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Oh, dear Christian, learn learn this lesson well. God is most exalted, and we are most blessed when we trust in him, when we serve him, come what may. Dare to be a Daniel. You know, it's one thing to arm yourself and to buy more ammo and all of those things, and you know how I am. I'm all for the Second Amendment. I'm all for it. But folks, when it comes time to do spiritual battle, you can't use physical weapons. I don't want to go into battle with people that are good shots. I want to go into battle with men and women who march on their knees, who commit themselves to serving Christ with all of their heart, who are bold in their gospel witness. Though the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, as Paul says, we can find comfort knowing that God is in it, whatever it is. The inevitable sorrows of this sin-cursed world are always opportunities for us to long all the more for glory. That time in Revelation 21.4 when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So dear friends, never forget that in his permissive providence, he orchestrates all of these things to bring glory to himself and joy to us. And his goodness and justice, by the way, remain untarnished in all that he does. As we read earlier in our scripture reading, Moses said in Deuteronomy 32, 4, the rock, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for all the promises that, is, that are ours because of Christ. And we know that you are the thrice holy God praised by the seraphim, your holiness being your all-encompassing attribute that portrays your, your hidden glory, your infinite otherness, your incomprehensible transcendence, your consummate perfection, and your moral purity, and to know that somehow you have saved us and you have given us these promises. We are overwhelmed by it all, and we find comfort in it. And so I pray that as we embark upon this new year, you will bring these great theological truths to our minds that we might live consistently with them.
And Father, as always, I plead for those who are still under your wrath because they have never cried out to Christ for saving grace. May today be the day that they put their trust in the only one who can save them from their sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.